0: I'm <laughs> Hey guys, what's up? It is week 216. I have a bunch of movies from 1970 to uh, cover for you, and uh, some new releases, some other things. Now, I know I usually do, or I try to do these little intros for each retro year. I did one for '85. I didn't do one for '91 and 05, so I guess I've only done it once. But I want to do one for 1970 as well. So, I, so I'm working on some things, and I'm thinking of picking some, you know, popular music from 1970 if I can get around the copyright strikes. If you guys aren't familiar what I'm talking about, I did a dive in 1985, and I used clips. For from a lot of the big movies from 85, the horror films. So for 1970, I think there's enough there that I really like or are iconic enough or interesting enough to do that with. And so I've been looking at some songs, and I already have a song in mind and that I'm pretty much going to use. I'll let you guys, when, it, when I use it, uh, just in case I can't end up using it, I'll keep it a secret. But hopefully I can use it. I think it's a pretty awesome song that everybody knows. And I'm trying to incorporate some clips, but there's a few movies I want to watch before. So unlike 85, I had a lot more blind spots in 1970. Um, I would seen like twenty, twenty-five movies from 1970 horror films, horror-oriented films, and there's a lot that I should have watched years ago that I bought and it just hadn't got to. So this has been a, a pleasure so far for 1970, and, and um, it's been a, like a learning experience for me. I know I'm, I shouldn't even. Start, I should start this out with the 1970 stuff, but I'll just get into it now. But what I love about it is. When you look at it, I'm, like a, I'm not a historian, okay? I'm just a guy who covers movie releases, old movies, does whatever he does with the retro years for 22 Shots. But I like the historian aspect when it comes to horror films. And when you draw a year that's previous to 2000, or even like, I'd say, 96, it interests me. Because I could see the history of horror and everything like that. So when you hit 1970, it's such a golden era of like movies starting to you have a lot of the hammer carryover you have hammer still going strong you have amicus and then you have you know a lot of that nihilistic shit coming in like jose Ros makes whirlpool in 1970 when i watched that movie i i, I was like wow and it reminded me a last house on the left a little bit and stuff like because you have that carryover from night living dead that like dark stuff coming in but you also have like low budget people like andy milligan working Al Adamson, Herschel Gordon Lewis. You have tons of Euro horror. You have John Roland, uh, making movies. You have Mario Bava. Dario Argento has his, uh, film directorial debut. So 1970 is a super interesting year. Um, and it's one of the years that I'm super happy to watch because you have such a wide variety of movies. You have legendary actors still acting, Boris Karloff in a couple movies, but then you have these newer. I, they're still legends, and they were popular before that. But you have like this, this real, like these other actors becoming these horror icons: um, Christopher Lee, Peter Cushing, um, Vincent Fucking Price, and then you have like these really strong actors that are just always great in movies like um, Herbert Lom. So it's just uh, Klaus Kinski. There's just a great. Great group of character actors and and movie stars that are still acting in all these 1970 horror movies, and I love it. So far, I've been really enjoying it. Even the ones that I don't think are great movies, I'm thinking, well, that's a piece of history. That's a that's another piece of history. That's another piece of the uh, horror history puzzle that I can put in there and see. This is a bridge, or this is similar to that, or this is just more I put in that category. I don't know when you, when you watch when I watch or, old horror films, especially from a certain time. I feel like it's enjoyment, and it's entertaining, but it's also a learning experience, you know? It's like having some uh, sugar with your medicine or whatever. But I guess we're going to get into the movies that we're covering, or I'll be talking all day. And the first one is Action USA. This is part of the MVD Rewind collection. This is number 27 on there. I think I've covered every release except maybe one, which uh, it was like a double feature, I think, with Bolo Young. Uh, Maybe I'll cover that uh, down the line. But this one here, Action USA. I know um, Vinegar Syndrome Archive released this, and I never got a chance to watch that release. But um, this one, I think it's the same print. It looked pretty good, looked very solid. And I know the Vinegar um, Syndrome Archive release is probably out of print, probably very expensive. Those editions are really awesome, too. So if you missed that one, then definitely grab Action USA. This was made in 1989, and it was made by a guy, I think, who was like a stunt coordinator, uh, a guy who worked with like a Brian Tretchard Smith at times or knew him because there's an interview with him on there. And this guy did like second unit and stuff. So he was big into stunts and everything. And you can tell watching Action USA essay um okay so saying this like i'm it is a ridiculously over-the-top action movie where everything explodes for no reason like you could flick a car and it would do like three spins and just explode and now if you were watching this in 89 or in the 90s you'd be like this is so over-the-top and ridiculous why is all this happening popping it in in 2021 i think that's the year we're in i probably lose track of time at this point but i was just so happy watching it because stunts man i miss stunts I don't take this the wrong way. I'm going to sound like get off my lawn, old man. Action movies are the ones that suffered for me the most in, in new films, because I know it's way safer to do it with CGI. And there's still a lot of cool movies, action movies, like the raid and stuff that use a lot of practical fights and stuff like that. But when it comes to like car wrecks and squibs and all this shit, the eighties and nineties and even seventies for action movies were so freaking dangerous and so scary. And even when they're just done in excess now watching an old movie... I get enjoyment out of it. So watching Action USA, I was super happy with it. Um, There's some familiar faces in here. You have Cameron Mitchell in an absolutely ridiculous scene. There's points when he's sitting in a hot tub, chomping on a cigar with beautiful women like, ah. <laughs> love Cameron Mitchell. Um, William Smith being a grumpy FBI kind of guy. I think they're FBI or CIA. I can't remember what the agents are in this movie. Um, that's not important. The explosions are important. And uh, who else is in here? There's uh, um, this guy called Ross Hagen, who's in a bunch of movies. And he's just like this ridiculous henchman, which I adore. Uh, he's hilarious in it and uh, I'm trying to think I feel like I'm missing one of the big character actors besides that but but we have uh, the stars here or two cops, it's a buddy cop movie, Um, and the lead, one of the leads is Gregory Scott Cummings, and this guy, um, I've talked about this before, he was an actor that I had seen in a bunch of stuff and never registered until it all connected for me one day, watching It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, he plays Mac's father in that show, uh, Luther, and I was like, who is that actor? He is very funny in this, I love him, so I looked him up, and it all started clicking together, I saw Cliffhanger, I was like, oh shit, he's Ryan in Cliffhanger, go fetch Wonder Dog, I probably tell the story every time I bring this actor up but i think that it's really cool when you know this character actor forever and you don't put a you don't realize it's the same guy until you're like oh shit that guy's been in like 20 movies i've seen and he's always entertaining and then i registered he was also in freaking um halloween uh hack a lantern halloween night uh, i think it's and he's ridiculously insane in that great performance very over the top and then he was in blood games so i'm like i love this guy then seeing him pop up in this he plays more of a straight role cop Um, I was like, all right, this is fun. So basic plot of this movie is there's this, uh, I guess he's a playboy, drives fast cars. He has stolen some diamonds. Um, he is currently, uh, he's, he's in the process of having sex with his girlfriend, hanging out these two henchmen ridiculously over the top eighties henchmen come in. Um, they hang him from a helicopter, which is an insane stunt for a very long time. Looks very dangerous, um, to try to figure out where the diamonds are, um, Something tragic happens, and the girl survives. She's the only one that possibly knows where the diamonds are. These agents are to protect her. The goons are chasing her. Um, pretty soon, we are introduced to Ross Hagen, who is this special henchman that shows up dressed in all these cowboy outfits, and he says, "When in Rome, and I'm in Texas," so that's where he's going to dress like. He starts chasing these two across country. Um, of course, the girl and Scott Cummings are going to, Gregory Scott Cummings are going to start having a relationship. You're going to see a little bit of buddy buddy with the cops and see some background on them. Um, both of them are very entertaining and the girl's solid too. She, I can't remember any of the actors <laughs> except Scott Cummings, but they're enjoyable. The dialogue is very cheesy and hammy at times, but it fits the movie. And, um, the, one of the really cool aspects of this movie that surprised me was, um, the goons. So Ross Hagen is paired up with these couple of goons. One they call Hitch. And he's like this veteran goon, as lo- along with Ross Hagen. And they start to form this bond, this relationship. And it's absolutely hilarious. And I guess it was improv uh, reading the interview. And they start going back and forth about where they serve time. And like, where will we be without our mothers? And it's just like, yes, more of that. And I know people say, when you don't need certain things, cut it, cut it, cut it. But when you stop and give character actors, especially character actors, these little bit of moments, for people like me, that adds an element. It adds instead of, this is cheap background stuntman, goon, or whoever. he is number three and he's gonna get shot and fall down now i'm thinking oh shit that's hitch that's funny that's uh you know they give some little characters that's drago i know these people i take they takes the time to introduce you to the characters and it gives you some time with them and that made it a lot more enjoyable for me i'm not gonna lie um There is one part where I laughed out loud hysterically when somebody is shot and they're standing there waiting to get shot again. And they just scream,
1: motherfucker.
0: And I was just like, what in the hell is this? And it's, it's, it's ridiculous. Um, the stunts are crazy. I mean, like there's cars exploding, flipping, um, it's done on a budget, but it's done well because obviously the guy directing knew how to stretch a buck when it came to this stuff. Um, and Brian treacher Smith interviews him on there, and they start talking about you know the stunts and everything like that and if anybody was hurt and he says it was nobody got hurt during the the filming and everything that's nice to hear anyways, very entertaining late eighties action movie. I enjoyed my time with it. Check it out from m v d um the surround sound was pretty solid um it was a lot of good explosions and um The, uh, the picture quality was great as well. And I think it's a vinegar syndrome, uh, remaster. So, um, if if it's not, I'll have to compare, but I imagine it would be the same print. And I don't know. Um, I know the vinegar syndrome archives are usually limited. So that's kind of the process. Like they release them, but they don't have their long-term rights or something like that. And that's why they're, they're, they're just, when they're sold out, they're gone. But anyways, if you missed out on that one or, um, then, then grab this one as well. Um, I, I mean, I grab this one instead. and Maybe maybe it has some new features on there. I, like I said, I haven't checked out the Vinegar Cinema Archive release. Anyways, digging the MVD Rewind Collection. They have a couple more coming out that I'll I'll probably be covering. House on Sorority Row and what is the other one? Mortuary, which I've never seen Mortuary, believe it or not. I've heard about it for years. Um, so it looks like they're dipping into some of those old Scorpion Code Red releases and putting those out as well. And I noticed that Kino is putting out re-releasing some of those Code Red titles too. So I know a lot of people are always complaining, I can't get this, I can't get this. Be patient. I think you'll be able to get some of those. So I know it's a little tangent at the end there, but Action USA, we're checking out, especially if you miss old action movies and fun, because this is definitely that. Okay, this next one here is from Arrow Films. And this is Irizumi. Uh, Hopefully I I pronounced that right. This is from 1966. And I love when Arrow's been putting out a lot of these Japanese films. They did a lot of, like, the Joys of Torture and stuff like that. That whole series they've been working on. And those are really interesting. And this does share some DNA with that series. Um, This one, uh, so basically it opens up with this woman getting a tattoo. uh, And it's a a period piece, of course. I don't know the actual dates and everything. But that's a huge kind of thing with these films is, you know... This tat, uh, they focus on tattoo artists giving these elaborate tattoos on on women and everything. Um, so it opens up with that, and it's against her will. It, it's it's trade almost. It's pretty much like a, this like a rape scene, but just getting a tattoo. And he paints. He he tattoos this spider on her, this black widow spider, and therefore that will become her personality. Then we kind of, what we see, we go back in time and we have her, um, she's wandering, she's, do you have this relationship with a Shinzuki, I believe is who she's having a relationship with. Um, She is the daughter of a rich merchant and he is kind of like working for the merchant. They're on good terms, but of course they have this affair and she's trying to convince him to, you know, run away with her because they're obviously not going to be, the relationship is kind of frowned upon because the father obviously doesn't want that for his daughter and whatnot and and the, the shame of going behind your boss's back and everything like that. It's just the Japanese culture. But there's some beautiful um, scenes here, especially when they're walking on this bridge and it's snowing and they're underdressed and they're arguing and everything. I thought that was really well done. But what happens is they go to the help of this general who basically says, I'll help you guys out. I'll talk to your father. I'll get everything squared away so you guys can go away happy. And, um, they're betrayed horribly. Um, she has ended up, she's ended up taken away and sold to this kind of, this creepy guy who's going to use her as a, uh, as like a prostitute type deal. Um, and he is kind of, um, almost murdered, but, it's this elaborate fight scene which is excellent and um, it's only excellent I would say because the way you know it's all in one take it's not all one take but it's very long and I feel like a lot of it is like long takes it's it's very rarely cut up it's not cut up very fast or anything but it's a long fight scene and it's like a realistic fight scene so it's like sloppy to the point you know what I mean (laughs) like where they're like pushing and grabbing and picking things up and blocking it it's not like uh, something that is like super choreographed it is but it doesn't it feels like kind of like just you and somebody else fighting on the street and you really don't want to get hit so you're but anyways he commits this murder in self-defense and he's kind of goes on the run so so what happens is he's hiding out and she starts to kind of embrace this lifestyle where she realizes she can manipulate men and that spider on her back is kind of taking over her personality so she will get everything that she wants eventually they do meet up and she's going to lay low and hide him but she can't basically live with what they've done so she starts to do all these schemes and plans and and uh it is a revenge tale and the way it unfolds is great um the tattoo artist is starting to watch her from a distance as well and see her dramatic personality and he starts to think that the power of the tattoo it's his doing um and everything like that but yeah this one is uh it's is really well made it's it's really well acted and the story's interesting it's a very interesting story. I like how it's done. I like how the the uh, the lead character here, how how intelligent she is, how she manipulates all these people, and just she gets. Uh, and the ending is a is a knockout. It's a really great ending. And I don't want to spoil anything too much. There are special features on here um, as well. There is. Um, a brand new audio commentary by Japanese uh, cinema scholar David Dresser. Newly filmed introduction by Japanese cinema expert Tony Rains, And he's in a bunch of these. He does a lot of these um, special features, if I'm not uh, mistaken here. And then Out of the Darkness, a brand new visual essay by Asian uh, cinema scholar um, Dazuki uh, Miao um so yeah anyways i was really happy with this one this is the same director of blind woman's curse which is a 1970 film which i will be watching for 1970 not necessarily a horror film from my understanding but close enough to check out so it's also an arrow release i'll be putting in eventually so anyways this is a recommended movie too um yeah great uh period piece sets and everything like that so Okay, this next one here is, uh, was sent over by Sean Donahue. Um, and he does, what is his uh, Gator Blade films. And they did Die, Die, Delta Pi, um, a bunch of other stuff. So this is Zed's Dead. And obviously that's a take on Pulp Fiction. Uh, it's, whose motorcycle is this? This isn't a motorcycle chopper, baby. Whose chopper is this? Zed's. Who's Zed? Zed is dead. So there you go. If you have, anybody's ever seen Pulp Fiction, yeah, the Bruce Willis uh, little segment at the end, this is a take on that. I must admit, I'm not big on fan films. So, take that with a grain. of so, salt. I'm not big on fan films. I'm not... I, I'm going to probably be a little bit harder on fan films than that. I I, 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 just, I feel weird about them, to be honest. Unless they're 100% out of pocket. That's how I see. You know? Like, a lot of people are putting out these Friday 13s and they're like, well, all the money goes to something. It's just like, yeah, but you're still benefiting. And Sean Donahue's already been doing these movies for years and years. So, he's not, like, making a name off of it. It's not like he's going to get rich and famous for making a fan film of Pulp Fiction. You know? It's not like a... I shouldn't even get down this diatribe, you know what I mean, like, there's this diatribe where I'm talking about people being like, well, I didn't make any money off this Friday the 13th movie yet, I got millions of do- millions, millions of people, uh, eyes on it, and I got a bunch of exposure, so therefore somebody hired me for a different job over somebody else who made a bunch of original films, so I feel really weird about fan films, okay, that's just, that's how I feel, and I'm, I'm just not gonna really change my mind about it. This one, I do feel a little bit different, maybe it's because I know Sean, I know he's a good guy, so therefore, I'm conflicted, so therefore, it's like all these, these things on here, like, these caveats. It's like, I know Sean, but I also hate fan films, so here we go. And it's Gator Blade. uh, Sean makes really low-budget films from Florida. This follows the story of the guys who run the pawn shop. Uh, the, it would be Dwayne Whitaker and Peter Green in the film um, I don't remember Zed and I don't remember the other character's name in the in Pulp Fiction so it's basically up until those moments and we see their kind of life we see them raping men we see them killing women taking their things and arguing amongst each other there's one scene where they eat a hot dog and all the messed up stuff that happens in the movie it bothered me to watch somebody eat like this dirty like this this messy chili dog I just I just don't want to see people eat chili dogs alright that's great it's the Some things should be private. Some things are not meant for for the big screen, and eating a chili dog is one of them. Um, So, it does have, you know, that kind of, almost like a wannabe uh, Quentin Tarantino dialogue. And it's a really hard thing to do. Like, when you do, try to do the Tarantino style dialogue, it's just like, is this up to snuff? I don't know, because you're never going to get the actors to be up to snuff with Tarantino caliber actors. And, And I'm saying that. And it's just a low budget film, so you know, there's the acting ranges. Some are better than others. And I don't ever want to point anybody out who's bad or who's who's great, especially on an indie level. That's why I don't particularly like reviewing indie films anymore in general because it's... it's I, I don't want to be rude at the same time, you know, but you have to be honest. So, like, acting ranges in all indie, indie movies. Um, and... Like I said, it's kind of a weird thing to be in, to play another character, you know, who's already been established in a film. So it basically is a bunch of vignettes of people walking in and being killed. Um, the special effects are, are fairly minimal, to be honest. There is still like a graphic rape scene right in the beginning. And uh, they, the people they kill, sometimes it will just follow them around for a little while before they're killed. And there's a, a lesbian couple that I genuinely was just like, oh, they seem nice. And then when they're killed, I'm like, ah, I just feel kind of shitty about it. You know, I just felt kind of bad for them in, in general because they're set up as nice. And it's just like, oh, I know they're dead. And I know kind of where this is leading. Um, there is some humor with the gimp actually played by Sean Donahue, as you can tell. And it's just a, it's just a strange kind of film that I don't know what to really say about it. You know, um, it's I don't I don't I didn't really I wasn't bored throughout which is strange. You know, like a fan film typically never bores me, but I just feel strange about it in general. Um, Yeah. So like it, it they did kind of tackle the weird sexuality of the two more than you would expect because like, like when you watch Pulp Fiction, I, I guess like I never sat and thought who the hell are these weird guys that run this pawn shop that are willing to rape two guys that barge into their shop. Like, but if you think about it, you're like, those are really weird fucking characters. Like, where where did they come from? Who the hell are they? What are the odds of this happening? So I guess it does make sense to focus on those two. If you want to make something really perverse and be like, let's make these two. Let's see what their backstory is. And they do kind of explore some of the stuff that these two are in somewhat of a relationship a a romantic relationship but yeah um, I don't know it's up to you guys if you like the trailer if you like super independent stuff you might be interested in it Um, it, it's different for Sean you know he typically does he did some slasher films and then he did a lot of those um, escort service movies Um, so I don't know if if you like these these Gator Blade films or if you like his work or anything like that low, low budget no budget Florida horror films then check out the trailer you may like it or you may be completely disinterested in it my job is not necessarily to tell you if it's good or bad just to see if you're interested in it i kind of try to just get let people know the gist of things and make up their own mind right Um, sometimes my opinions spill over a little bit more but hey you know it's kind of like it is what it is but anyways that is uh zed's dead okay this next one i had seen before and i don't know if i ever covered it on this show since it came out in 2015 i don't think so but um I, i i am on the summer series i'm not on 2015 but I had a sh- I was like, "Well, I think this one's gonna make it, and I hope it makes it." So I wanted to rewatch it in 4K, *The Witch*, and I only had saw this once in theaters. And when I walked out, this is usually a good sign for the movie. I walked out and I was can I didn't know what the hell to think. I was thinking, but the first thing I said was, "At least it was different." You know, I didn't hate it. I just was like, "I need to think about that." And I, I felt the same way about *Hereditary*. When I walked out, I was like, "I need to think about that." It's a discussion movie. When you walk out of *The Witch*, or *Hereditary*, or *Midsummer*, you're like, "I just want to talk about it and make sure, or it follows." Even I was like, "I want to get it on the table and see, you know, how I actually feel about it." Because there's things in it that are just like, I just, you know, you're you're almost lost for words, and you just gotta, you gotta like dissect it or comprehend it or or you know let things sit for a minute. Anyways, on this in this watch, I, I remember I think it's a great movie. I think that it's one of these movies that is very impactful and, and been one of these movies that really left a mark on horror history. And people are like, horror history? Anybody that doesn't think The Witch is a horror movie, watch something before 2000. Watch a horror movie from 2000. Watch an old Hammer movie. Watch a gothic film. Really. I don't understand how, I'm going to go on a tyran- uh, tangent here. I don't understand how people look at The Witch like, it's not really a horror film, is it? Yes, there's drama in it. But just because a movie tackles something seriously, like it shows human emotion or, or people having these, these psychological issues amongst each other, and it's well done and there's arguing and, and acting and shit, doesn't mean that it's not a horror film. The first five minutes, spoiler here, first five minutes of this movie, a baby is ground up into paste, rubbed on a broomstick so a witch can fly. This is the be bare beginnings of horror films. If you go back in old times, everything was a witch or a vampire in this kind of sense, okay? it, it Gothic witch vampire shit. <laughs> you watch Vi or something, like that's like an old story, like all these legends and shit. This is horror, man. This is the bare beginnings of horror, like this kind of stuff. And it's like this uh, puritanical nightmare, you know, for people that are religious. Anyways, what happens is we have these settlers uh, recently from England um, they are a proud family. The father is super proud and they are banished um, from their their, um, their plantation to kind of leave town because he's pro- he's pro- uh, prideful and he's judgmental of everyone else, which goes against what he should be in the first fucking place, right? Um, because he's a hypocrite. And you realize that all these characters are carrying a lot of uh, baggage and, and they're hypocritical and they all have sin. So the perfect magnet for a witch, right? Um, they move into the, the woods and, uh, at first it, they're trying their best. They bring what they can their, their, their livestock, their family, their dog. I mean, there's, there's several kids. There's a pair of twins. There's the older daughter, um, and two kind of, um, and a son and a baby. So there's a big family, um, like five kids and a mother and a father, a dog and their goats and everything like that. One of the goats is black Philip. Uh, so yeah, anyways, they, they move out and shit starts going bad right away. Um, the baby, like I said, is snatched and turned into paste within 5-10 minutes of this film, which is a really bothersome, disturbing scene. And pretty much tons of dread comes in. Dread. Um They set all these things up about the characters. And and it all comes to fruition when they're at each other's throats, when shit starts to get peak level. Father, all he can do is cut wood. Uh, the mother, she's proud, you know, of that cup. She has that cup and everything like that. And the father's too proud to send him back to the village and beg for help. And... And... It's just all these things about it. The twins in here are absolutely little bastards. And they keep telling that they talk about Black Phillip. And everything, like, it just starts off small, but it's all set up perfect. And at the end, it comes too. And what the, the lead character in here does, you don't blame her. You really don't. At this point, you're like, well, if you tell someone they're bad enough for so long, they will become that thing that you're telling them. If you treat something like dirt, occasionally something will become dirt. They will become what you're telling them they are. Um, and somebody once told me that they said, if you tell somebody they're shit long enough, they'll start to think they, they'll, they will start to think it and they'll become it. And I was just like, you know, that, that's, and, and this whole thing here, and it's just the one thing I didn't remember from watching this film actually is that they do show a bit of the devil. So there's going to be spoilers here. And I would have preferred the devil to be more in the shadows without seeing them. The voice was fine enough. Um, Black Phillip's fantastic. I, I love the idea of, you know, the, the goat. Goats are awesome in movies. Even the old Dante the Dante Tomaselli movie, what was it? Whore with a goat. <laughs> Obviously representation of the devil. But the devil takes the forms of, of um, a crow in here, a rabbit, a goat. I mean, how is this not a horror movie? It has Satan. It has witches. It has fucking people getting killed. Um, I don't know. The acting in this movie is next level. Everybody in this movie is fantastic. It's not easy to find kid actors, I imagine, that are this good. Especially the dialogue they have to deliver. Especially in the dialect they have to deliver. The father is great. Um, The set design is great. I mean, it's the set design, but the location is beautiful. Um, The atmosphere is great. Um, This is a fantastic movie. Um, It is... I mean, one of the most um, noteworthy horror films... Of the last 10 years, for sure. I, I know people, do, not everyone loves it. But um, there's probably people back in the day that didn't love The Exorcist or Rosemary's Baby either. And that's fine. I guess that's fine. Um, maybe in 20 years this movie will be hated. History will tell. I don't think so. I think in another 20 years this will be still a movie that's talked about. And that's hard to do, I think. as, as More cinema and, I mean, with social media it seems that everything gets buried. You know everybody's screaming, every voice is out there things things get buried, people don't you know, but some things last forever and it's gonna I don't know when you're in living through it, it's hard to tell what's gonna be around forever, but I would put my money on that the witch has already established itself enough that I think in twenty years it will be. Kind of a classic, and I think it already is kind of a classic. So um, I know there's a lot of people like it's anybody that doesn't think this is a horror movie. Rewind to like 19, like 70. Check out a couple movies that are considered a horror back then, and, and get back to me on that. I'm sorry, I, I don't even understand how that you could not. Like this isn't like it comes at night or Brimstone or something where it's like I don't see it. I'm like okay, I can kind of see that, but fucking witch, in what world? Like tell me why it's not a horror movie. They talk too much. I, it... Uh, I uh, and anyways, and I, I've heard the story where it's like, they were actually just poisoned by the corn. It's just like, then why show the baby get ground up? It's like, well, that's them imagining that the baby got ground up. Okay. Okay. And I know that's a fan theory and that's fine. And that's cool, but that's not what, what's actually happening. I, you know, <laughs> anyways, the witch looks great in 4k too. Sounds great in 4k. I'm a big fan, big fan rewatch. Um, yeah. So I, I mean, I think it's a great movie. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. I can't, I can't tell you anything I think is wrong with the movie, to be honest. And it's not four hours long. It's an hour and a half. It's like an hour and 30 minutes, two minutes or something like that. And like I said, if you're going to have that kind of slower build and everything like that, you can be long. I know. I know. But when it, it works really well for the witch being at pace at that time, and it comes at night being at that time. So, You don't have to be a four-hour movie to be a slow burn masterpiece. And I know people, but you can be a four-hour movie and be a slow burn masterpiece too. And people are like, I hate that term, slow burn. And I I wouldn't even say this is exactly a slow burn because there's always something going on. And slow burns have stuff going on. I don't know. I don't see that as an insult using slow burn. I just think it's probably something, an easy term that everybody knows. And people don't want to use it anymore because it's, they make it. It's like, oh, it's so generic. It's just like, why use it? But anyways, I could say 10,000 words. To say up for that 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 one little phrase, so I'm just gonna say the fucking phrase, all right? Uh, the witch, love it. Okay, this next one here is from 1970. We're getting into the 1970 movies, and this is by Jean Roland. Um, this is the nude vampire. This is the second vampire film, I believe. His first one was Rape of the Vampire. It was black and white. Not watched that yet. This is part of the, the Kino box set. So the nude vampire. Street <laughs> letterbox reviews and it said, she's neither a vampire or nude. <laughs> like, and I was like, yeah, you're right. This is a weird ass movie. John Roland is a surrealist. His movies are super bizarre. Composition on match, cinematography on match, especially on a budget. This is kind of stuff where you watch a character walk around for 20 minutes and then it will zoom out and they'll be in like some coliseum and like 20, 30 characters will be on the second deck and they'll be on the bottom and they'll all walk out holding torches and they'll all walk one way. You're like, you know what? That shit's not easy to do to get everybody together and stuff. It's just like you can make a low budget movie, you just have to call in some favors. I mean, you can make a low budget movie and make it excellent just call in favors and just be really good at stuff like that so like okay boy this is a weird movie it, ha- it follows dream logic for sure um right in the beginning we have this guy who seems to be falling around this beautiful woman um these guys in animal masks come out and they shoot her she survives they take her away into this kind of gated area where they're having a party he's not welcome he cannot get in this guy looks like Bruce Abbott, if he lost 50 pounds, and Bruce Abbott, for me, animator, he doesn't have 50 pounds to lose. So this guy is very thin. Everybody, I made a joke on <laughs> Internet Movie Database. Uh, my review was average BMI in this movie is 15.2. Everybody is super skinny and super beautiful. And like watching it, I'm like, man, i like, I'm like three times the weight of everybody in this movie. And I'm like, I think I'm normal. Maybe I'm normal weight. I don't know. Uh, French people make me seem fat. Um, <laughs> anyways, I was watching this, and so he's obsessed with this girl. He tries to follow her into a party denied, of course. Eventually, he sneaks in, and he realizes that this party is uh, a weird suicide cult that worships this woman, and his father is behind it. So it's like, right there is dream logic. Like, the idea of stumbling across this strange situation like that, and then tying it back to your father. You're like, what are the odds? What the hell is going on? So anyways, he becomes obsessed with this woman, um, trying to figure out what's going on. His father, he, is, he's like, his father's trying to stop him. He has these goons, and then his friend gets involved, but there's these assassins and everything, and people are getting picked off and then there's this weird strange guy wandering around and it turns out that there's kind of a, a fight for this nude vampire. Um not and, and she's not like and, and then it gets real weird. And if that doesn't you know what I mean? Like I just said all this weird shit and that's like then it gets real weird. We start to go into more of the sci-fi realm. And I don't want to spoil too much, but it gets super weird, alternate dimensions, um, people walking through bullets, uh, I don't know. It's shot in a beautiful um, like chateau, um, gorgeous on the outside, gorgeous on the inside, um, the lighting's fantastic, it's well shot, well maintained, tons of nudity. For 1970, there's explicit nudity um, and, and stuff like that, so... Very welcomed. Uh Very ahead of its time, probably for 1972. Very different. Um, liked it. Enjoyed it. Um, beautiful to look at. Story is lacking, but that's what it's kind of going for. It wants to kind of leave some elements out in kind of logical sense at ter- certain times. Logical story points but it does have a story and you can follow it. It's not complete insanity, but it's just very dreamlike of course. And that would be similar with some of his other films. Um, if you haven't seen any of his movies, I would recommend checking out living dead girl. That's the one that I think is the most approachable for me and grapes of death. Those two, I thought were both great. Living dead girl is amazing. I love living dead girl. Um, I think Rob Zombie took some samples from that one. Um, I know he took samples from John Roland, well, the song Living Dead Girl, which is the movie he took samples from in some of his musics. musics. Um, But um, yeah, anyways, Living Dead Girl, Grapes of Death are really great. Fascination's really cool. So I've not seen all his movies. I've seen a handful and I've liked everything except Zombie Lake, but Zombie Lake is the uh, Satan. It's Satan on film. I'm pretty sure that that's the devil incarnate on um, some sort of celluloid. <laughs> Anyways, uh, the nude vampire uh, recommended. There's an interview with John Roland and one of the collaborators of his and an introduction with John Roland as well. You can watch the movie in English. You can watch the movie in French. It's up to you. Okay, the next one from 1970 is one of two films that Mario Bava directed. This is Five Dolls for an August Moon. This is an Agatha Christie type story, you know, Ten Little Indians. Um, and, of course, it has that gothic flair because they're all rich. Richer than, uh, you know, richer than God, and they're all hanging out at this this kind of isolated uh, island kind of deal, and people start to get picked off. Uh, familiar Faces, Edwidge Fennec. That's right, from Aldo Sergio Martino, um, Gialli. Uh, gorgeous Edwidge Fennec. Um, I'm not sure if she had done... She, I'm sure she's done something before this, but this is the uh, maybe the one and only time she's been with Mario Baba. Not 100% on that. Howard Ross um, from Don't Torture a Duckling. Oh, he's got all his digits in this one. And William Berger from tons of he's in jellies and westerns um german actor of course he's a bunch of stuff and some more familiar faces those are the three that stood out to me so anyways uh there is a scientist that has this uh secret i, I don't even like a scientist and he has a secret server that's going to help with manufacturing business it's going to change it's going to remember it's going to change the world right and these three rich investors want it they all take everybody out to this kind of this villa on an island and they're isolated the yacht's not there Oh, God, the yacht's not here. What will I ever do? Um, And the speedboat's missing after there's a murder. So um, the houseboy is murdered. And, yeah, so therefore they're stranded. They're all pointing fingers at each other. And I did not know who the killer was. I did not guess who the killer was. I don't even know if you could guess who the killer was. But people start to get picked off. And the bodies are all put in the freezer. (laughs) And I guess they're like dolls because they're hanging there in the freezer. And every time they do it, they play this music cue. And they show them sit next to a uh, rack of beef. Works really well. Very entertaining stuff here. But uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of dialogue amongst them. Um, there's lots of these kind of like uh, long camera shots, so they didn't have to change a bunch of angles. I mean, that change change camera shots and, and setups and everything. But I always love that style with Italian cinema. You know, like we'll go through here and then we'll pan over and have that, just so we don't have to ch- change camera setups and lighting and everything. I think that the whip pan and zooms and stuff that uh, the Italian films have done, um, although it was for to save money, it literally creates a style that um any like you know aficionado of your horror absolutely adores and bava you know he was a cinematographer and he was a you know a jack of he was great at everything and that kind of stuff so although people call this lesser bava for my understanding i still thought it was vastly entertaining and very well put together um the very ending of the movie i thought eh, a little iffy on it to be honest i was kind of I could have went without that little little bit at the very end. But, uh, yeah, it has a high kill count, of course. Um, you know, you got 10 people to kill, and they get pretty damn close to 10. Leave it at that. Anyways, uh, yeah, I enjoyed all the characters. They're rich assholes, and um, they're interesting, though. You know, they're not like these so boring uh, characters that have nothing going on. You know, they have personality, and some of them are pretty good actors. I, I, there's no bad acting in it. I mean... But uh, interesting stuff. I enjoyed the hell out of it. It kept me guessing. And yeah, there's there's a decent amount of, you know, sexual stuff going on. So anyways, $5 for an August Moon. Would recommend. Enjoyed it for sure. Uh, good stuff. Okay, the next one here is also from 1970, and it is And Soon the Darkness. This one is uh, the director here, uh, Robert Fust. I believe he did the Dr. Fibes movies, and he also did Devil's Rain, if I'm not mistaken. All three great. This one's pretty great, too. So he's four for four, if I'm not mistaken. Sometimes I'm a little off here. This is a, a fairly famous uh, horror film. They remade it. Um, it's more of a thriller horror. But they remade it uh, some time ago. Um, I never did get a chance to watch the remake. But And soon in the darkness, it follows these two um, English girls that are biking across. Um, I think they're in France, somewhere in France. Countryside biking, and they want to bike. One uh, At one point, there's this guy on a motorbike kind of riding around. He has these big sunglasses. One time... I saw the director, the cinematographer, in the sunglasses. We're gonna let that slide, all right? So um, maybe it's just a 4K restoration. Looks so damn good, I can see everything. Anyways, uh, he's driving this motorbike, and he's constantly coming across them. Sometimes he'll drive in front of them and stop and they'll see him at the next village and every it, it's it's a little awkward it's weird um the one girl seems interested in him and she kind of even mocks him at one point um the two have an argument the two girls uh one wants to kind of just be a little bit more you know free spirited take a break lay down get a suntan eat have a couple drinks maybe talk to some men and the other one's more you know let's let's go let's go let's do this we can't sit here all day we can't drink too much we can't eat let's just go 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 this is supposed to be about riding the bike and having fun so um at one point her friend is, is left behind, they get an argument. She leaves and she's waiting for a friend of the next uh, the next little village and she doesn't show up. She starts to get worried obviously, and there's some problems here. Um, she doesn't speak French very well and she can't communicate with anybody. So it gets really bad. Um, there's these two couple this couple arguing, um, the guy with the motorcycle coming around. She ends up going to the police station eventually when something weird happens. And I I don't want to spoil anything too much because this movie, although it seems fairly obvious what's going on, it's not as obvious as you think. And the reveals and everything, how it unfolded and who the characters are and what happened previously, really sets the stage for mystery. Um, I think it's well shot. Um, it's, It's a rare horror film that's shot entirely in the day, which is very cool. There's very rarely any night scenes, if maybe, maybe not any. Which, uh, it's hard to be creepy, hard to be scary in in the bright sun, but being, uh, that you don't, they don't ever put subtitles up for what the French people are saying, so you're like, oh, fuck. You can imagine yourself being in that situation, not knowing a language, being a stranger in a strange land, right? Um, And all these people have history amongst each other, and something tragic happened in this town that nobody really wants to bring up because they're directly involved, probably. But anyways, good film. uh, Recommended. And soon, The Darkness. uh, Entertaining stuff. Uh, Good thriller horror film, for sure. Okay, I'm going to be very brief with this one here. This is The Amazing Transplant from 1970, of course. And uh, I don't know much about to say about this Doris Wishman movie. Um, I I'm not too familiar with her. I know she did a night to dismember and some other handful of movies, and she's got a cult following. She's very popular. I know a lot of people that love her, love her. So uh <laughs> Amazing Transplant. This is a weird movie. Uh this is a softcore film, maybe bordering hardcore, less horror than expected, but I just kind of watched a little bit of exploitation horror, you know, everything. Anyways, what happens here is alright. Um This woman uh basically it basically follows this guy who goes around and he, he in the very beginning he murders this woman. He strangles her and I think rapes her. And we see all these times when he encounters these women... Um, through a police officer. Basically, his uncle is a police officer. He's talking to the guy's mother because she wants him to do the right thing, make sure her son's innocent, all that kind of stuff. And the police officer goes about in and, and police procedural kind of form and talks to everybody that the son encountered and realizes that he raped all of them. And we're kind of like skidding around stuff, but it's basically the formula, and it's like an hour or so. At one point, she he walked into this one hotel, this room, and there was like a painting, a portrait on the wall, and it looked just like Andy Milligan. From I was like, is that fucking Andy Milligan on the wall? I mean, this movie makes sense to have a portrait of Andy Milligan on the wall in this caliber of a film, right? So. I I know it can't be. But uh, so I'm watching it and um the big reveal happens of what the amazing transplant is and the way that the character delivers the line made me laugh hysterically. I laughed out loud. Um I just I don't even want to say it. Because it's just that, that scene in general is pretty funny. The concept of this movie is absolutely insane. Um maybe it was ahead of its time in some in a little bit of things. They have a, a lesbian relationship in here. Um and there's a lot of sex and nudity, um, a lot of unpleasant stuff because it's mostly rape here and there. And I again I don't want to spoil it. If I say anything else it'll be spoiled, so slight spoiler. The movie's called The Amazing Transplant. There should be a giant dong. Alright? Why isn't there a giant dong in this? It's the amazing transplant. I there needs to be a, a Lexington Lexington Steel style dong in the Amazing Transplant. You know, all right, give it some uh, drill bit. Is drill bit the Andy Alex Chandon movie with the giant, or is that Bad Karma? One of those two, anyways. I don't fucking remember which one it was. It's Bad Karma or drill or drill bit, anyways. Uh, giant Wong, the uh, Amazing Transplant. It's not really my thing. Okay, it, it's just a little too dull and repetitive at the time. And, and these aren't movies aren't meant to be like watched a hundred times. It was obviously something you went to the theater, the grindhouse theater, or the or the drive-in, and you saw like three films, and you just kind of, you know jerked off in the seats and got up and left or something. I don't know. But The Amazing Transplant, I can't give this a recommend. I, I know a lot of people adore it and stuff like that. It's just not my thing. Okay. Now, I, I'm not going to go through this whole box set. I do not have the time to do that. I'll, I'll do some here and there. But these two were made in 1970. There's a couple more from 1970 on here. This is the um, Dungeon of Andy Milligan. And I'm going to talk about the blood, uh, Bloodthirsty Butchers first. So, yeah. All right. Um... <laughs> on my review for bloodthirsty butchers i made a really stupid joke about i just on letterboxd i ended up following me on there it's mr parka um nowhere no, no spaces or periods just mr parka i made a stupid joke that i said um uh, tim burton would be rolling in his grave implying that tim burton is dead implying that he initi he wrote sweetie todd originally and implying that this movie wasn't made Several years before Tim Burton's uh, Sweeney Todd. Anyways, um, Andy Milligan is a director that I always kind of avoided, to be honest. A- along with like names like Al Adamson and stuff. And like I talked about the history of horror, being interested in that. So I am interested in... Like, I always avoid even Gordon Lewis, Herschel Gordon Lewis and Ed Wood because everybody would say that the movies, as a young kid, oh, they're awful, they're unwatchable, they're trash. But then again, in my review book, they gave Zombie one star, so what the fuck do reviewers know? Including me. What the fuck do I I don't know anything. So, um, I always avoided them for the longest time. Now I've of course watched a bunch of hurst and Lewis movies, a couple Al Adamson movies and this is my first go with the Annie Milligan movies. I bought the set because I'm interested in the history of horror films, especially from early. So, even if I don't like the movies, I'll be able to kind of put that pace, you know, that piece of the puzzle in there and kind of understand horror as a whole more. So, I'll learn something, right? So, uh, Bloodthirsty Butcher's Okay, this one was actually shot in England, which is crazy because, you know, Andy Milligan's not from there. He made super low-budget movies in America. Um, He ran a dress shop. Interesting guy hearing stories on here um, and listening to some things about Andy Milligan. He had led a very strange life, made some very strange movies, and had a, you know, kind of a a tragic end. Um, He was not apparently a nice guy, from my understanding. But Bloodthirsty Butchers, let's get into the movie a bit. Uh, Yeah, this is Sweeney Todd again. It's very disconnected. Um, We know the Sweeney Todd story is we have the, the woman running the meat pie store, obviously selling um, Soil and green, you know. People chopped up into these meat pies. People are coming to them and buying them, and there are people in there, of course. The barber Sweeney Todd is killing them and selling the meat product and and everything like that. This it kind of cuts out like the Beetle all those guys, like that rich person up top and everything, and it kind of just focuses on you know Sweeney Todd and um, I can't remember the uh, person's name who basically feeds the meat pies. It's Angela Lansbury in the musical that I've seen, or so. Um, basically that this isn't a musical, it's not a musical. Um, although it would have been better if it was, uh, so basically it focuses on them. And the relationship they have with tons of people. So, Sweetie Todd seems to be having, like, screwing everybody in town. And a lot of the characters are, like, killing people separately and you don't ever... If you didn't know the story of Sweetie Todd, you'd just be like, what the hell's going on? Like, it wouldn't register to you that they're connected and selling the body parts. So, like, it's really disconnected and there's lots of times when they'll literally be, like, these scenes of exposition, like, like dumps, where there's, like, I ran in and I saw them fighting so you better get over there. Just so it's, like, super easy so they can, like, have the cop Run into this place to, to tie the ending together because otherwise it would just be like, How'd they get there? So it's like lame attempts at that. There's like scenes where they just like trail off and introduce this character who works in a play just to have like all this stuff in here to pad the runtime and have arguments and stuff like that just to kill her off. Um, but her character has some of the better scenes, like she literally spits in a guy's mouth. There's lots of people spitting in each other's faces, and was like, psst, psst. I was like, Oh man, that's gross, but uh, she's just like mean and gets what she wants and everything like that, and there's a uh, strange scene where i did not expect sweeney todd to kill a character that they do um anyways um i know that Andy milligan was like a oh, homosexual and like you could kind of tell by some of his casting like just some of the people like they'll be like well they're focused on a sex scene but like you see more of like the male pr- the butt like the ma- than anything else and you're just like yeah well I a focus on that kind of stuff over the because typically it's always breast front and center in the films um so, like, they, they kind of always have, like, these strange actors in here that are always, like, super extra, like, completely over the top and bizarre and just weird performances. Um, but a lot of them feel like theater actors. So, like, as, like, they're not, like, not all of them are theater actors, but some of them are, like, super over the top. Like, they weren't corrected. Like, so they're like, yes, that is absolutely, it's just like, whoa, take it back, like, to, like, 90 or something. You're at, like, 120 right now. But, yeah, so, so it does that. Um, but their performances are fun to watch because of it. Like, you know it's completely over the top. The gore effects aren't great. Like, they'll literally, like, have a shot, and they'll do this, and there'll be a cut within the middle of that shot instead of, like, going to, like cutting to something else. Like, they'll just cut right in the middle of that, and you're just like, what the fuck? Um, and then, like, every scene ends with, like, and I guess this is because he couldn't afford to do the transitions in film, like, afterwards and stuff. Like, it dissolves everything. So, like, every time there's a murder and they're like, we need to get out of this scene, it's just, like, the camera's like, oh, shit! And they're just like, we got to get out of here. So it just starts running around like a tornado hit the film set. Um, yeah, these aren't particularly great made films. But I'm not going to lie, I enjoyed my time watching this one. And probably because it was a Sweeney Todd take, I was just like, oh, shit. Like, I didn't even know this was a this Sweeney Todd story. Um, you know, obviously, the quality is not great on these. They're very low-budget films. How, like, tons of his movies are lost forever, so... Uh, I think this is uh, just, I did enjoy my time with it. I just can't really give it like a strong recommend or anything like that. There's a trailer on here. That's the only special feature on uh, Bloodthirsty Butchers uh, as far as just this disc is concerned. Okay, so the other bad boy that I'm going to cover this week in this Andy Milligan set is Torture Dungeon. And yes, this is a period piece, believe it or not. Uh, I think that all his horror films, they said, were pretty much period pieces, or a lot of them were. And this uh, involves uh, lots of taboo subjects, uh, incest, um, of course, murder, abortion stuff, which Sweeney, the Sweeney Todd bloodthirsty butchers also involved in abortion and everything like that. Um so anyways, what we have here is the Duke of Norwich. Uh basically wants to get his family wiped out so he can take, you know, the throne. Um, the guy who plays the Duke of North, uh, Northwich is super extra, super over the top, and just a dementedly gleeful, goofy performance that I actually enjoyed quite a bit because he's just so nonsense. Lots of bad wigs, lots of bad mustaches, all that kind of stuff going on here, and uh, probably not very period accurate clothing. But like I said, uh, Andy Milligan, I've heard he ran a dress shop before he was doing movies. So he probably was making all his own like wardrobe and everything. I think that's what they implied from the stuff I was listening. So that's kind of funny. Um, and the idea of doing a period piece on a budget is just insane to me. That's, obviously not going to turn out very well. Um, the movie's ridiculous as hell. Um, there's lots of weird, strange sexual stuff, of course. The villain, Anor- Norwich, um, basically forces a uh, two of his servants, um, one of, uh, who's a hunchback, to have a menage a trois with him. It's a very awkward Um, weird sex scene where the Hunchback is obviously wearing some sort of flesh skin uh, suit underneath. Um, So obviously budget constraints there. Uh, It's just a ridiculously goofy and over the top movie. It's called Torture Dungeon but you only get a slight glimpse at the Torture Dungeon. Very quick shot of it. Not very much of a Torture Dungeon. Not very much about a Torture Dungeon. It's more of a family drama with incest and arguing and lots of that Kind of stuff, but the main villain's performance is that of a Disney-caliber villain. Over-the-topness to like, it, it just it entertained me. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I don't know. This is a particularly good movie at all. The ending comes out of nowhere, where it's like some some hunchback of Notre Dame shit, where it's like. The, the the old begging like, woman who hates uh, Esmeralda is like, I am your mother! And you're just like, what? in Hunchback, it's okay, because there's like 8,000 pages explaining every little detail about the movie, so I bet mean, the, the story, so you're just like, you didn't get away with that because you literally explained every detail about this city, so I'm going to let you know that slide, and I'm sure that there was probably eight chapters about it that I just forgot in my memory, but this one just feels like it comes out of nowhere, where she's just like, I was your mother and it's another big exposition dump tie up loose ends which is exactly what they did with bloodthirsty butchers kind of sort of so you guys get it all right um, andy milligan is obviously uh you know acquired taste there's a commentary on here by an andy milligan expert alex d de, uh de or de and he's a super young guy he's only 20 and he loves andy milligan he goes over his career he knows all the bit players he knows about his life and he loves these movies and hearing him talk about it gave me some uh, some you know you know, some, some understanding a little bit more on this kind of stuff. Like I said, um, I love horror films. I've watched horror films my entire life, but some of the other guys, like they had a reputation for being bad. Um, It's not that I wouldn't watch them ever, they just didn't come priority over a lot of, you know, stuff growing up like Romero or Carpenter or even the Italian stuff that I absolutely adored or the weird SOV shit or Tempe stuff that I was into young. That was more my kind of, like, low-budget cinema was the Tempe, SOV stuff from, you know, the late 80s, early 90s, that kind of deal. So I, I didn't see, you know, a lot of Milligan movies at all growing up or Al Adamson or any of that stuff. So I will watch them eventually, but I'm still working on it. I just, i watched, like, 50 10 to 15 movies a week so eventually i'll get there anyways uh i'm glad i bought this set though and i look forward to watching the other two from 1970 that are considered horror oriented i'm probably not going to watch nightburns so as that's more of a drama and probably considered one of his better films anyways um yeah torture dungeon i would put it as the lesser of the two that i watched bloodthirsty butchers is more on top of that one for sure Okay, this next one I'm going to be fairly brief with. It is Tear in the Streets. And this is by the same director of the... the Arrow put this box out called the Bloodthirsty Trilogy, which is these three vampire movies, these Japanese vampire movies made from like 1970, 1972. They're all the same director. And this happens to be the same director as well, Tear in the Streets. This is more of a thriller. Um, The description was like an invisible man, but they didn't mean actually invisible. So I was like, oh, is this an invisible man story? It was kind of just a vague, like you cannot see. It was just a bad translation of it so essentially what we have here is this woman who um for no reason one day she's fired from her job she demands to know why she doesn't get a reason on her way home um she just kind of goes home and she she's very depressed about it um she ends up being evicted from her apartment her her landlord tells her somebody else is offering a bigger price and um you're gonna have to move out by the end of the month obviously she's upset about that she goes to get a new job um, the interview seems to go very well, but of course she gets a letter that says she was rejected. It seems that something horrible is going on with her. She starts to run into these people, um, that are forcing her. They're, they're trying to marry her. They're trying to kidnap her. All this kind of weird shit's happening. And you're just kind of confused what the hell is going on. It feels like, like gaslighting and, and gang stalking, all this kind of shit to her. Um, there's some people trying to help her out and in the reveal is, is pretty crazy um but yeah so it's more of like in the thriller vein um there's a couple people that are like killed and everything through things but i'm gonna say this is more of a thriller less of a horror film i don't have that much to say about it i do think that the opening and all that kind of setup is really great and really interesting and i probably ruined my own viewing experience because i don't think it's a bad movie but i was like where's that invisible man are we getting an invisible man There's no Invisible Man. Um, So I I screwed this up for myself. I was hoping this would be like an off weird Invisible Man movie. Like those other two Japanese movies. The Invisible Man uh, appears in Invisible Man versus the Human Fly or something. It is not. It's just the description is very vague. Too vague almost invisible that doesn't make any sense anyways uh yeah i i just don't have that much to say about this one it was a nice one to watch because it's, it's a fairly rare movie that was kind of disappeared i think it's a toey or maybe it's a toho it's one of the big two companies and it just basically got a tv broadcast in japan and that's pretty much how anybody could watch the damn thing now of course you know it leaked and it's available um if it does come out i will definitely buy it um Maybe get some insight on the background of it. But uh, it's just kind of a thriller where all these gangsters and criminals are after her for a particular reason. And there's a bunch of reveals and everything. Decent movie, though. Um, Not bad. Okay, we're going to hit the last one from 1970. And this is Cry of the Banshee. Yes, from the Vincent Price collection. Um, I love Vincent Price, and I had never seen this one. And right when I popped it in, I was like, man, this feels like uh, the performance from Price here. This is like a mixture of his uh, Witchfinder General performance and from the Masquerade of the Red Death. So I was like, the Masquerade of the Red Death. I was like, it's like a mixture of those two guys because he's like has that flamboyant playfulness, but he also has that cruel, mean streak in him that he had in Witchfinder General. So like that Matthew Hopkins character where he's just an evil bastard. So essentially he um, is the... Um, A parental figure, the patriarch of this rich family, um, but he also hunts out evil and gets rid of any witchcraft or occult or anything like that. Um, He's a piece of shit. okay? His son is even a bigger piece of shit than him and he rolls around with two goons, henchmen, that are absolutely abysmal pieces of shit that drove me crazy. They reminded me straight out of a Hammer film from like uh, Frankenstein Created Woman, those asshole guys, or like the Hounds of Baskersville or something like that. They're very much that kind of type character where they're just like going to do whatever they want without repercussions because hey they're rich or they they're friends with the king or whoever's in charge so basically in the very opening of this film um it depends what version you watch. Actually, Vincent Price um, tells this woman she's a heretic. He brands her. He basically strips her nude, wanders her through town. Everybody's throwing things at her, and he chains her up. It's really kind of a disturbing scene. And for 1970, there's there's some nudity here, kind of explicit stuff, um, some darker stuff too. There's like in a, there's a rape in here that's mostly off screen, but obviously implied. There, are, like I said, there's people being stripped nude, and there's somebody burned alive, which is absolutely fucking horrible to watch. But but the opening in this movie, the first like 15-20 minutes, I was like, "This is fantastic." We have the animated sequence by um, I think Terry Gilliam. It was definitely Terry Gilliam. It looked like Jabberwocky shit. So I was like, "That's very cool." We have like this line in here, like this this quote from Poe. So I was like, "Man, this is a good cool movie." Um, as it goes on, it gets a little less quality, but it's still still a really good movie. I still enjoyed it. Obviously, in that vein of like the Witchfinder movies that were coming out around this time, Witchfinder General, um, Mark of the Devil, all that kind of stuff. So Mark of the Devil also nineteen seventy. So, yeah, I I thought this was great. Price is really good in it. Basically, what happens is... um his family gets a curse put on them when they decide to attack this cult, uh, that is kind of out in the woods that, uh, worships like pagan kind of style stuff. He kills a bunch of them. And, the, the leader of that puts a cult on his entire, this curse on his entire family. And there's basically this Banshee, um, this creature that picks them off here and there, his, his kids and his loved ones and all that kind of stuff. So he's trying to figure it out. They're trying to stop it. And the reveal of who the Banshee is, is kind of cool in the AIP version, the edited version, which is also in, ...included on this disc, which cuts out a lot of the nudity... and, ...and changes where scenes happen... ...it opens up in the first five minutes... ...it spoils that reveal... ...and you're just like, what is the point of this? What are you doing? People are not that dumb then again after some of the things I've seen online maybe people are that dumb I don't know But uh, <laughs> putting gas in bags and shit um, yeah so uh, yeah but anyways the edited version is, is different has different music and I watched some of that and I was just like How, why would you open your film like that just ruin everything anyways I enjoyed this one I thought it was really well done um, like I said it, the first act is, is is like perfect it does lose a little bit of steam but it, not much um, the Banshee itself um, like it's supposed to be more in dark but when you do do see it you're like that looks like shit until the very end reveal they kind of show it in a different it looks better um they leave this movie open at a certain point where i was like you're not going to end it like that you're not going to do me like that and then they give you a satisfying ending where i was like thank you i i actually thought that was pretty damn good and ballsy this movie has a lot of guts actually it does some things that are really messed up a lot of nudity um like people frolicking naked and 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 just some brutality in here for 1970 anyways good film enjoyable uh good period piece horror film i love these kind of period piece gothic style things um and which which finder general movies and everything like that uh a folk core maybe a little bit folk in there too with the, the cult and everything um yeah so anyways maybe some comparisons to wicker man with all the people dancing and doing that kind of thing or the witches or something like that from hammer anyways good film highly recommended check it out for sure cry of the banshee um yeah okay we have a Patreon pick here, and this was from Eau Claire, and uh, I was super happy when you picked this one, and it is Little Monsters from 1989. This is the Vestron release. Um, you guys ever have those movies you grew up with that you absolutely adore, and you still grow up, and you still watch them, and you still like them? Um, this is one of my top five favorite kids films, Little Monsters. Um, it's just such a bizarre film. I, I watched it very young. Probably like four or five. And I watched it tons and tons of times. My brother was four and a half years older than me. I was born in 86. This one came out in 89. So like some of the stuff he would be watching, I would start to catch glimpses of. You know, I, I would play with his Master of the Universe toys. So although some things came a little bit ahead of my time, although I was a video store kid running shit all the time, it was before my time. You know, that young age, that young age of like four or five. And this was semi-family friendly. Nowadays, this would not probably be considered a kid's movie. Uh, but if you catch it in my drift, it's really weird. But back then, kids' movies were weird with Garbage Pail Kids and Little Monsters and then you had shit like Monster Squad and Goonies and th- there was danger in Earth Scared Stupid. There was danger within the kids' movies. So, Little Monsters. Right in the opening of this film, the score kicks in. I love this score. It has this weird melancholy feel to to it and it just puts me back in a place of reminiscing and being nostalgic right away. And it just the narration by... Um, Fred Savage, which is very strange because his dad in this film is Daniel Stern. His brother is actually played by Ben Savage, and Daniel Stern narrated *The Wonder Years*, which starred Fred Savage. So we have Fred Savage narrating in a movie that has Daniel Stern in it and him, and it's just it's just a perfect match for me. So um, the narration comes in, and he's I never wanted to move here, and it's black and white fades in the color, and uh, and he basically ends it with I'll never ever have another friend like Maurice, and um like kind of like *Stand by Me* the ending, how it says is like you know do you ever have friends? like that um, when it, no it's just like I don't know what it is when you like have a focus at kids here in a movie it, it just it takes me back to that time. It does. It just puts me in the mindset, either like Stephen King or or stuff like that. Or like I mentioned, monster squad, goonies, uh, little monsters. It puts me there. So, uh, basically what happens is this family has moved into this new house. Uh, there's a family of four mother, father, the father is Daniel Stern. The, The main kid is Fred Savage. His younger brother is Ben Savage. And what happens is they're having some, the parents are having obviously marital strife, um, strife, um, and their house is a fixer upper. So there's a lot of stress on the family. Um, And weird things start to happen right away in the house. Uh, And it comes to find out that um, basically there's a monster that lives under their bed, played by Howie Mandel, in full makeup. And here's a little secret here. I um, actually did a a movie in 2015, 2016. We made a movie. um, And my friend Brandon Salkill wrote this character, who's uh, Jimmy McDaniels, who's over the top completely, and I was to play him. I based that character just on instinct alone. Just reading it and talking with them a bit, I was like, well, I see him more like a Beetlejuice Maurice character from Little Monsters, just loud, obnoxious. Well, I'm pretty good at being loud and obnoxious. So I basically channeled Maurice and Beetlejuice, two of my favorite characters, as that character, kind of over the top, you know, loud and obnoxious. Got him, need him, got him, need him. You know, baseball cards. I love baseball cards. Anyways, so this movie is special to me. I love it. I adore this film. So basically, what happens is, um, Fred Savage captures um, Maurice, and Sunlight kills the monsters under the bed. They turn to kind of, they get disfigured, then they kind of turn to clothes, and they eventually die. He lets him go. That causes Maurice to kind of bond with Fred Savage, um, Brian, and they become friends. So, Maurice, as uh, as, uh, what you think is an initial reward, takes him down into the underworld, which is under the bed. And there's this giant, uh, awesome like lab labyrinth or uh, like place where all the monsters live very similar to nightbreed one of my all-time favorite movies either under midian all is where the monsters go they live underground so it has similarities to nightbreed as well which came out one year later um the book was probably written around the time maybe before so we have this idea where you go under there and it's like this magic you see these like streams of like these streams flying by and my brother was like Those are dreams. They have to be dreams. The dreams flying through the the monster world getting to the kids while they sleep. At the same time, these monsters' job is to scare the shit out of kids, cause trouble so the kids get in trouble, all that kind of stuff. So they sneak out and they go from under the bed and he starts to learn the ropes and everything like that. But uh, one day he encounters Snick. And Snick is this sadist monster played by Rick Dukeman. Rick Dukeman is a comedian. He's fantastic. You guys would know him from Scary Movie and of course the Burbs. Ray, hey Ray. What do you think they're eating over there? Love Rick dukemon and the Burbs. He's one of my favorites. Uh, love the Burbs, by the way. So he plays Snick in this, and he's got this no neck, and he's just fucking awesome. He's got Hunchback. Great performance. Scary as shit for a kid's movie. Inappropriate as hell, too. And he works for a guy called Boy. And Boy's played by Frank Whaley, and he wears a boy's face. Really creepy. Really inappropriate for a kid's movie. And I'm pretty sure Boy is a pedophile and <laughs> the underground layer is pretty much like the Neverland Ranch. I mean, all right, all right. I don't want to go too far. But anyways, what happens is you learn that Brian starts to suffer um, some of the same effects that the, um, the monsters do when they go to light. So and, and there's some turmoil between him and Maurice. And it turns out that boy is evil and he kidnaps Fred's brother. And it's up to them to rescue them. Uh, and also Maurice was doing some shady things anyway. So there's like a kind of falling out with them. You know, obviously, Maurice is doing something for a boy he probably doesn't really want to do. So all this kind of stuff's going on. But anyways, there's a big showdown at the end between the kids and the monsters. And like I said, I don't want to spoil the entire movie. I just kind of wanted to go over it and point out some things I really love about it. Howie Mandel is manic as hell, and I love him. Uh, I love some of his lines. How about, How about a life, bud? That's one of my favorite scenes in the whole fucking movie. I've said all the time as a kid. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I got a hunch talking about my hunch Maurice I take it back <laughs> that whole shit's great um, and there's a lot of inappropriate humor that that shouldn't be for kids at all so like it, it's, it's that layer like this isn't really for kids, but it is back then. That's how kids' movies were made. I like the set. I love the set. I like the idea of them like causing all these problems. The montage of all the parents getting pissed at their kids is great. Um, Ronnie is fucking hilarious. The piss in my apple juice. When I was watching Rewind, I started laughing hysterically. Belly laughs. Belly laughs. I know I'm inappropriate and I'm a kid. Ronnie's gonna be pissed. It cracks me up, man. It's it's, it's such a part from my childhood. And there's these weird moments in here. I know that Eau Claire pointed this out when I think it was Eau Claire, she pointed out that um, when uh, Snick is beating up Arnold, he says, Arnold says, my knees hurt! And you're just like, what the fuck? Uh, he's like, it hey, just boy gets what he wants. And you're just like, oh, this is so gross. So, like, there's these elements that aren't necessarily kids' film friendly in here, but it adds this, like, scary element to it. And there's danger and stakes and everything. Uh, I love all the characters. Even, like, all the kids are great. Kristen, the girl he's interested in. Uh, ben and Fred Savage are both great. Toad. And then of course, Ronnie Coleman. Um, There's some good insults in here, which would be probably very offensive to kids now. Um, If it's the last thing I do today, Brian, is gonna make you eat this shirt. I'm surprised you haven't eaten it already. Um, Daniel Stern, I can't think of the mother's name, but I love them too. They're great, love the parents. Um, Daniel Stern freaking out, being highly stressed out. I'm 15 minutes late to work here. Uh, I love that stuff. It's just a a great imaginative idea that, uh, uh, you know, things would steal from this monster saint going under. that there's a, a magic world under your bed. When I was a kid, I used to have dreams about finding secret passageways in my house that would lead to like crawl spaces and all that kind of stuff. And when I woke up, I would think they were there for a while. And I feel like there's that magic in Little Monsters. The special effects are all practical; they're all great. The soundtrack is amazing. Like I said, it just it gets stuck in your head. Um, it's just sad, it, it, but then even like the non-sad stuff, like I love all of it. I'm a big fan. It's it's a movie that's hardwired into my brain, you know. Um, the actual um, I mean, the score was what I was talking about, but the soundtrack itself is great too. You got the Talking Heads "Rode the Nowhere," fantastic song. Um, the, uh... That's the magic of the night. That's the magic that plays throughout the scene with Ronnie Coleman spitting the piss tuna or piss cat food all over the principal. He spit piss on the principal! Uh, that plays during that uh, great little scene. And then you have, um... Uh, the scene the, the music when they're actually doing all this stuff na, 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 I just like I said man it's all stuck in my head forever I love it um, Rick Dukaman is terrifying great performance um, he's having the fucking leather gloves and shit um, Frank Whaley is super scary and when you see his real face um, I don't know man this is a strange creepy movie that's just like nightmare fuel like at times as well this probably freaked out a lot of kids well I was never scared of it I just always loved it um and there's some things that logically don't make any sense like at one point they're scaring a baby and some of the monster designs are really cool like the pumpkin guy they're scaring a baby and he gets upset so he just wanders out of the house but you know like this whole village like wherever it is like you can go anywhere under the bed so like you just assume that like he was in his own town or something and is walking distance from his house um the whole idea where they're like we got like five minutes and then they're running for like hours it's like like 15 minutes in the movie like ah oh well and all that kind of stuff there's some stuff that don't doesn't make 100 percent sense um, the idea is, is pretty awesome anyways um there's a lot of great special features on here which i did watch um so there is an isolated score selections and audio interview with composer david newman there's interviews calling maurice uh howie mandel doesn't hold back uh, he's a very funny guy he hate he's a kind of a germaphobe so he hates the makeup um, but he doesn't regret doing the movie, but if you were to ask him if you'd do it again, he said, no beneath the bed, an interview with producer Andrew Lynch, Lynch, And that was also really cool to see. Um, they basically talks about getting Howie Mandel and all that stuff on there. And then monsters, big and small interview, special effects, makeup creator, Robert short. He talks about some deleted scenes that I would have loved to see. And the monster designs and how it came to fruition. Then we have vintage interviews with actor, Fred Savage, Ben Savage, special makeup effects, creator, Robert short and director, Richard Allen Greensburg, which is also nice to see. Um, And they seem very candid, you know, just kind of asking them and stuff like that. The the behind-the-scenes footage, vintage footage, making Maurice, Howie Mandel, makeup transformation, vintage EPK, and VHS promo theatrical trailer, still gallery. The picture quality is decent. Like it's not amazing. It's not like you're going to pop in a vinegar syndrome, but the movie's dark. It's a dark film. So it's not like something that you pop, like it has a lot of night shots and underground layers are kind of dark. I did notice they did change one of the audio cues on here. There's also a commentary by like a, a person from Australia that loves the movie. Yeah. Um, Jarrett uh, Gihon, uh, editor in chief of cult of monster. There is a, a audio change with the, the character has a really long last. That's dangling them trick or treats to my feet. Um, that's what he says. But this one, any friend of uh, Maurice, uh, Maurice is a friend of mine. They changed it, which is very strange. Um, anyways, uh, I, I really like the movie. Maurice is awesome in it. Uh, Fred Savage is great in it, and like the Savage brothers and Daniel Stern is like family. Is just like perfect in the film for me because like um, just growing up, they were always there. They were always that kind of like that anchor to like the thing. The, you know, I mean like Daniel Stern even being Home Alone. So it's just like so many of these people in the film are recognizable to me at the time. Anyways. I feel like all the movies, like the people that like the little kids movies and stuff like that, I feel like little monsters is a little frowned upon it more than it should be. I I feel like little monsters should be more popular. Maybe it just really freaks people out. And it's a good reason. It's just weird stuff with the monsters and boy. And he's a villain though. And what's, what's more disgusting and despicable than a pedophile probably shouldn't be in a kid's movie though. Maybe he's not a pedophile, but him, it's definitely an allegory or a metaphor or something like, um, But some of the lines in his head, like he says, evidently you don't play fair. Like he's a great villain too, really creepy Um, love the movie, big fan, still love it and a lot of that's probably due to the music score and the performances and everything, and the idea is great too there's just lots to love, I know a lot of people don't like it but if you saw this as a kid shut off if you rewatched it recently and how you feel about it, I I don't know I I still love Monster Squad, and I still love The Goonies, and I still love this, and Earn Scared is stupid as well, and I even kind of like the Garbage Pail Kids, I like it, okay it's terrible, I'll never be like, Garbage Pail Kids is a good movie, you'll never hear me say that, it's a bad movie but I still like it, and I, I also I think that a lot of hate for that one is like I wanted the cards. It's like how do you fucking make cards? I don't even know. I don't even know how. I how would you make the cards gets as a movie? Like it was just such a bad idea in the first place. Uh, like, but anyways, little monsters love it. Great stuff. Uh, Eau Claire, great pick. Happy happy to do this one for sure. Hey guys, what's up? We're here for blind spot. It's your blind spot though. It was your pick, mm-hmm. and you picked Escape from Planet of the Apes, the third Planet of the Apes movie. What, made 1971? Um, Rowdy McDowell's back. Mm-hmm. Kim Hunter, I don't think, ever left. I think she's been the same, uh, the entire time. And who else is in this one? Really, the actor I noticed right away was M. Emmett Walsh in a very tiny role. I was like, is that mm-hmm. M. Emmett Walsh? And he was young, kind of. Never been young. But, uh, yeah. The only way you could fix what happened in the last one would have to be time travel. And that's exactly where they're going. They get crazier and crazier as mm-hmm. they go on. So, apparently, um... Zira and what the hell is... Uh, Cornelius. Cornelius jumped in a time machine before what happened at the end of Beneath the Planet of the Apes and jumped to present-day America 1971. And uh, basically, it confuses the hell out of them because they come back in the astronaut ship and it's like a media sensation. Um, right. A couple of the doctors, one played by uh, Bradford Dillon from Piranha, and I think he's in Chosen Survivors, ends up talking to them and befriending them and kind of sticking up for them. Um, and then, of course, there is a politician that starts to look digger, dig deeper in and realizes that these apes might have committed some horrible things in their time and planet. So that's pretty much the plot of the movie. Well, I want to correct you because I don't think it's a
1: politician. He's an advisor or something. He's like... like- a philosopher or something, but he is like hired by yeah, like he's the he's hired by, so. by, by by the government. Is
0: he on the commission? I can't remember. I if don't he's know. On if the he's, commission.
1: Yeah, I think he is on the commission because they have like like yeah, it's like like <laughs> leading people. So it has like a priest. Of, yeah, I think he's like a physicist. Yeah. Um. You know. Yeah. I've been different government agencies. You know, world around. Um, and also it's not. They don't they're not in a time machine. They somehow got the spaceship that Taylor crashed. Yeah, that's what and I said. Working. They show up on the spaceship. Yeah. They call them
0: Ape-onauts. And like right away, like their interviews because nobody believes that they're confused who they are and nobody believes that they can talk. So when they actually reveal to the world that they can talk, it's actually a really funny scene. They mm-hmm. like kinda che- like work the crowd, they make the jokes like Do you talk? When she lets me yeah. um, I, I really love Roddy McDowell and Kim Hunter in this, they're great. Mm-hmm. Ah, man, this had the best portrayal of a president I've seen in such a long time. Literally, the president is more intelligent than, like, 90% of the last, like, 20 presidents. (laughs) Exactly. Like, no, like, he's so well-spoken. When the character comes to him and brings up the idea that eventually they learn the future that the apes will take over and that there could be a catastrophic event that ends the world... The president says, "Well, is it our place to do it? How do you know it's actually fact?" And he starts to question all these things and bring everything up. Sorry, sure. one of our cats has a cold, so he's sneezing. Um, yeah, so it's 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 actually the back and forth between the president and that um, that advisor is one of the best, stu- some of the best stuff in the movie. Absolutely. Um. Oh, uh, Ricardo Montalban is also in the movie. He's great, and I figured when I saw his name in the credits, I was like, "Oh, he'll be a bad guy," but no, he plays this circus owner, which is actually probably oh, some of the yeah. best stuff. Um, and the twist—you called it right away. Yeah, um, I, I caught the twist right away. But Claudio, stop <laughs> it! He's been—he's a huge cat, so when he sneezes, it's like the end of the world. I might have to start this over. No, nah, we're yeah. all right. Just okay, so so anyways, yeah, I thought <coughs> he was fantastic in the movie. Uh, and like stuff that they bring up, like these endings of all these Planet of the Apes. I know that people always poo-poo on the Planet of the Apes movies, probably because the first one is such an iconic film, and mm. and Beneath is just crazy. But all of them end in such dramatic fashions. Like they're trying to out-top each other. They're like mm. brutal too, and they're dramatic as shit. Like I'm always attached to the characters. So when like stuff happens, I'm like, oh shit! And it's like they're always like rated G, and you're just like, what? <laughs> It's like oh, the rated G, but people are getting like shot in the head and like, yeah. that babies getting thrown into rivers. <laughs> like, okay. The, the one thing that I thought was really crazy was that we're looking at like, I know the suits aren't as good in this one on Cornelius and Zira as the first movies, but what's absolutely hilarious about it is they look decent. They look solid. But then they'll have, like, a gorilla in here and, like, a chimpanzee. And they are actually guys in suits. And it has to be some of the poorest special effects for the time. Like, I thought Trog looked like shit from 1970. Boy, I didn't know how good I had it. (laughs) Fucking Trog, all he is is just an animatronic head with a guy's body. The gorilla is one of the worst gorillas ever. The chimpanzee is absolutely terrifying. Mm -hmm. And, like, it looks gross. It looks, like, literally, like, the special effects in Possession when, like, she sees that weird, like, penis monster. Like, the way... Like they look gross. They don't. They look nasty. They look like melting human monkeys. I don't. Not the gorilla, but the chimpanzee does.
1: It, especially with chimpanzee. He looks horrifying. Like yeah, the the face is for like like the bodies aren't that bad. I mean you know whatever. But like when they get to like the gorilla face and the chimpanzee chimpanzee face, face. he looks like shit. Um, he looks scary. It looks like somebody like sculpted it with their eyes closed, having only like. One reference of a chimpanzee ever It, yeah. l- it looks horrifying It looks
0: weird um, The gorilla is fucking so cheap and hilarious mm. and I, I. It was great Because they have this third character Who I don't remember from the other movies He's like Dr. Doctor, something Is it Dr. Milo? It is Milo because they named yeah. the baby after that and, like, they're in the cage, and he's like, We can't let them know we speak. And, like, <laughs> they're next to a gorilla. And all the people are like, well, well, put them next to the other apes. And, like, literally, the girl reaches the cage, he's like, Argh! And he strangles him. He's and I was dead. like, Is he dead? Like,
1: we <laughs> walk him out on a gurney. It's like, Okay. Um, I, I will say that, like, I was surprised where this one went. Because, I mean, obviously, the way that the second one ended, um, you can't go anywhere unless you get repaired ridiculous. Right, it's like where is this going to go? Like, you know, it's so, a, you know, it's a time travel story. Um, and I don't know what it is about 70s and like we have to like like show how much we consume things because like there's like the, like, the whole middle chunk of this is like the monkeys like like shopping. They don't like being called monkeys. Or, yeah. they just killed the guy for that. But you know, it's, it's like 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 we're going on like fashion tours and like you know consumerism.
0: Like, having... like instead of like the um, humans being like accepted eventually by some of the apes, the apes are accepted by the humans, and they have alcohol and right. sig- they like start eating. Obviously, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like the human vices. Or... Yeah, they start to be like kind of. Um, Contaminated or corrupted is the right. word I'm looking for by like the human lifestyle and everything. Like they're in a bubble bath. And it's definitely a, a statement on that. And, but then they could kind of understand at least a little bit where the humans are so destructive too, right? Can't they? Which is, I met hundreds of humans since I've been here and I trust three. Right. See? And it's a kind of a poignant thing here. I did not like watching, like the ending was depressing. Like right. I can't, can't believe they did that. Like, but it kind of had to happen that way.
1: Yeah, cause I'm curious where it's going to go. I um, they do this like, like Cornelius explains like the origin of how the apes came into power, and I I didn't particularly care for it, um, because you know the first two movies make it seem like mankind destroyed each other, and yeah. then the apes kind of like filled that void. Um, and in this one it seems like maybe mankind still did destroy each other, but like the
0: apes. And, man, were like, kind of present. Yeah, and at the same time. Well, and that's kind of the newer ones, too. I think that's what's going on. But right. this one, they mention a plague, too, that killed all the cats and dogs. So they mm-hmm. try to domesticate apes, and the apes start to learn from the people. And that idea is, is kind of strange, considering I've, I've been listening to the Black Plague uh, episodes on last podcast they've been putting out. And that's... Uh, like, the animals all caught the plague, too. Which I don't know if there's ever... There's been certain plagues that only affect certain animals, I guess, yeah. all the time. But, yeah, I mean, the idea that they evolved over only 200 years. I mean, like I said, it could still have the post-nuclear stuff. and But it just doesn't exactly line up with the, what they pointed out in the first one. Because they point out that the, uh, uh, the the humans blew up the planet. That's why you saw the
1: Statue of Liberty, right? Right. And that's why you had... It. Are the humans underground, like yeah. mutated from the radiation? So it kind
0: of contradicts itself in a certain way, and I'm not sure what the hell is going to happen. Well,
1: I, you know, I'm curious where where the next one's going because there's, I think there's two more. Yeah. Um, uh, before we get to the remake, um, so, you, you know, like, is it going to follow because Cornelius and Zira have a child, um, that is alive, I guess, in the modern day. So is it going to follow? their child to like the rising of the apes or does this like change the future so they can go back to
0: we'll have to see
1: you know 27 or 2970 whenever the planets take place um you know, are we going to see Dr. Zayas? Is Dr. Zayas going to get on, like, like King's, like, time control Dr. throne? Zayas, and Dr. Zayas. Exactly. Zayas. Like, okay. I miss Dr. Zayas because, I mean, he was my favorite yeah, part. he's not in this
0: one. And either is, of course, Charlton Heston was like, yeah, I'm not doing yeah. any more of those. Uh, creature Features, um, Escape from Planet of the Apes, 1971, two out of five stars. Third effort in the Planet of the Apes series is a talkie effort with screenwriter Paul Den over-indivulging. Indivul- over Overindulging, sorry, in the comedic comparisons between Man and Monkey, a trio of chimps travel back in time in a space capsule to present day. But because the talking creatures pose a threat, the government forms a conspiracy. The film's outcome led to Conquest of the Planet of the Apes. Den and... Uh, Den and directed Don Taylor score best... That doesn't make any fucking sense. That's the guy's mm. last name. Den and director... Oh, Den and director Don... Taylor score best generating empathy for. Be guy. This fucking whole sentence is a goddamn mess to me. Look at that.
1: Dan and director Don Taylor score best in generating empathy for the beleaguered chimps and are less successful with the satiric, satiric jazz. Yeah. Right in McDowell. Yeah. It's just,
0: for some reason, using that guy's name as an opening threw Kid me can, off. Barely can barely read. <laughs> <laughs> Kid <laughs> can barely read. Kid can barely read. <laughs> uh, it's been a long day um i like it though i don't think it's that bad i i mean people always compare i enjoyed it thoroughly i've enjoyed all these movies so far oh
1: yeah i, I liked it um i'd probably still give it a lower rating than i would the other two um seven and ten. Seven half out of ten seven and a half out of ten i'd probably give this one like a three out of five yeah yeah i mean it's it's
0: meh yeah but the end was great
1: the end was great, but, like, it wasn't as great as, like, the second's ending. No,
0: not even close.
1: No. The, uh, guys, I'm not gonna, I want to talk about, I want a whole show about the second movie. <sighs> like, I, I need to discuss the second movie, because it it burned me, honest to God. <laughs> like, I saw in a good way. Master. Yeah. He burned me. It was... The I want to burn him So back. good. I actually need to re-watch the second one, I feel. Did do. you know that movie? Yeah, that, that's why I quoted it. It was... Uh, uh no, no, the one I just did. Yeah, it was Nightbreed. Yeah, did you? Yeah, that's why I said it. What'd you say? I just said it burned me. No, no you, didn't. I mean, you didn't. say it. I bad. did. It's on recording. Don't you said it Now we going to watch... The thing, and we're like, oh, well, yeah, another the reference, but they just started (laughs) You paid attention to what he said the first time. Yep. The end. You can't even read. I don't even know
0: what's going on. So next week's
1: my pick. Yeah, what are you going to pick? I'm not going to pick the fourth Planet of the Apes. No, we got to save that. I mean, you need these, I think, in
0: chunks. Um, You know what? I'll probably pick a blind spot. Okay. And um no, I'll pick a you ain't seen. Okay. I'm gonna pick Mark of the Devil from nineteen seventy. I gotta watch it anyways. I like it. I think you would find interest in it. What's that ever nineteen seventy one? What? Um Bird with a Crystal Plumage? Yeah. I no, watch that. not yet. I'm Why? waiting for the four K. Four K? Four K. Yeah, it's coming out this month or next month. What about when they released it in eight K? Whoa. In sixteen K. I'll be dead by sixteen K. I don't have to worry about sixteen K. We
1: got Mario at home. <laughs>
0: we got my (laughs) own a my tv won't play 8k it only (laughs) plays 4k is there actually an 8k yes but i don't know if there's any disc for you yeah okay (laughs) i know that they i don't i'm done i'm done 4k is enough unless i hit the lotto and then i'm getting like a fucking million k i'm gonna have a a theater and i'm just gonna play weird movies and i'm gonna buy film reels and get everything i'm not living here if that happens if i win a million (laughs) dollars ten million dollars I'll just be like four hundred pounds watching movies. I gotta print a Neon Maniac, do you wanna watch it? No. This. I've seen Neon
1: Man Maniacs uh six times. I don't think I've ever finished it.
0: Like this this is over. How dare you? How dare you? Literally, myself? it's
1: it's like it doesn't make any sense, and then like I end up falling asleep. Like, what do you 30 mean it doesn't in. make
0: any sense? You mean mutant monsters that are killed by rain and water that live underneath the Golden Gate Bridge but live in a rainy area and only come out at night? Doesn't make any sense. Yeah, or or the subway that's, <laughs> <laughs> or the poster that has the twin towers yeah. in there for the Japanese poster. No and you're sense. like, what the fuck? Anyways, Neon Maniacs. 10 out of 10, 1986 classic. Is that 86? Yeah. So we're out of here. Bye. All right. Let's get into these questions, which sometimes I don't get that many answers. My questions aren't always great. Sometimes I won't do the question of the week anymore just because, like, the reply back are are minimal or a lot of them are just, like, I don't mind jokes, but when, like, every reply is a joke, it's just like, all right. So anyways, uh, David Scott... um, the mustache does give off '70s porn vibes. Nothing wrong with that, though. Not the whole movie, but the three main type characters from *Angel Heart*. Basically, I asked you guys to recast any movie of your choice from any, with anyone alive or dead. He says Al Pacino replaces Gary Ullman. Uh, he says replace Gary, Al Pacino with Gary Oldman, Mickey Mickey Rourke, um, Leonardo DiCaprio, and Big Cop replaced with John Goodman. That's pretty cool. Good casting. Isimisio, listen to you talk about the synopsis of this uh, from ear to ear just makes it sound so French. I need to check it out. I speed on your grave box set looks nice minus one film that should have been removed entirely. Can't believe they included the poster for the atrocity as well. Otherwise beautiful set. You sound like an auctioneer reading off all those um titles. <laughs> Alright, <laughs> and then we have Stuntman Mark. Always loved your videos. I'm surprised that you only got Eyes Spin Under grave from RoninFlix and not the set for Haunt. I know you love Halloween theme horror. Check it out if you haven't already. It's definitely worth the purchase. Yeah, I, I did watch that. I did enjoy it. It was just a little steep. I might get it eventually. Dr. Snuff, you're probably thinking of It Conquered the World. And he is right. I, I basically thought It challenged, the monster It monster challenged the world was getting mixed up with It Conquered the World. Which doesn't have a Blu-ray release. This one doesn't. It Conquered the World. Unfortunate. Ilk Vomit. i related to pretty much everything in this video but I just want to say I finished watching the new Mighty Duck series on Disney Plus and it's pretty damn good. The only thing I have to say uh, that is sort of nitpicky is that the dialogue of the adults was really bad and I don't know but to me it seemed like Emilio Estevez doing his best Charlie Sheen impression throughout the entire series. Uh, David Leather Great mustache I would cast you as the great Frank Zappa. Elk vomit well, i didn't know the guy who played cho uh chosen from karate kid part two as a bit part in paper tigers also i can't wait for you to watch 18 bronzeman it's not by any means a favorite of mine but it's enjoyable bangram as far as your question i'd cast brendan fraser in the remake of the original maniac as a person who used to be a heartthrob and now is known for how he how he looks now driving him crazy john walsh the girlfriend of murley uh and highway racer uh lily Carti. uh uh, became a porn star in the late eighties. She was also miss Italy, 1974 finalist, won the category of miss elegance. Ha ha ha. Later found out to be a heroin addict. Yeah. They do mention that in the special features and she died fairly young. She's kind of minimal in the movie. So, um, and yeah, she died of brain cancer, apparently, uh, years of drug abuse. Uh, she also came out, uh, in the excite D Leo movie. Um, she came out to in the x he says exc uh, excellent oh sorry she also came out in the excellent d leo movie to be 20 1978 Wow, the ending is really bleak on that one I'll have to check that out nick Moa, i enjoy your question uh, show it's current format too sir as plenty of movie meat heck it's a full cinematic meal i'll take that over small mini bites any day of the week somebody basically wanted uh, the video to be cut up into short little segments and everything of just separate videos and i explained that i probably wouldn't be doing that cuz i used to do that if possible, I'd recast my favorite dark black comedy, The Burbs, Dr. Werner Klopex, Sir Chris Lee, Uncle Reuben Klopex, Donald Pleasance, Hans Klopex, Matthew Lillard, Ray, and Carol Peterson, Mark Hamill, and Glenn Close, Ar- 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 Arnie, Eugene Levy, Ricky Butler, James Duvall. That's a good cast. Lastly, Lieutenant Mark Rumsfield and Bonnie Rumsfield equals Samuel Jackson and Michelle Pfeiffer. Okay, and then we have questions. At what point does a stack or rack of movies evolve into a proper collection? When you reach 500 movies, 1,000, 5,000, more? Whatever you think it is. I am not the authority on what a collection is. Um, Would you ever consider replacing your plastic baggie with the uh, Patreon subscribers' names with a bloody pillowcase for dramatic and creepy effect? No. Never thought of it. I probably wouldn't. And now somebody sent me a little mini bloody... Uh, bag or something i'd probably use it but i'm not gonna i'm not gonna go on my way to do it do you enjoy dystopian movies if uh so could you name some of the movies i really enjoy ben wheatley's high rise featuring tom hiddleston jeremy irons and elizabeth moth moss. moss uh yeah dystopian movies um one that pops off the top of my head is zero population growth is pretty entertaining um jeez would you consider planet of the apes dystopian um dystopian right off the top of my head uh trying to think of these post-apocalyptic movies that come to my mind right off the top i should have done some research because there's literally hundreds of movies that i could mention and none of them are going to come to my head none of the obvious ones children of men is great the aftermath from 1985 is an underseen one that's pretty nasty pretty crazy belgium movie good stuff um dystopian uh there's tons of zombie films that are dystopian day of the dead is my all-time favorite movie that's definitely dystopian um so, yeah, or, or are you thinking more like before complete civilization collapsed? Uh, yeah, so there are uh, several films is releasing a bunch of uh, post-apocalyptic movies or Mad Max kind of ripoffs, and one is Endgame. That's one you should check out that's really fun. And uh, New Gladiators uh, by Lucio Fulci. So that's two that come to mind right away. Uh, Colin Morris, awesome reviews. Really uh, recommend Valhalla Rising if you like Reffin Films. My favorite, just behind Bronson. Irish Mad Dog, 1987. Excellent show as usual, Dave. I definitely need to grab the Blitzia Tetsi set. So obviously you're keeping the mustache, right? Well, mustache? Uh, Matt Boland, John Carpenter's Thing starring Andrew Dice Clay. Actually just put Dice in every movie retroactively. Hey! Yep. <laughs> uh jason uh hammond the muppet movie replaced with the feebles um we're not your average ordinary people meet the feebles uh lovely everett's uh, lars von trier's antichrist with katherine isabel and brendan fletcher neil uh machino the uh, terminator story john candy i can just see john candy like how's it going i <laughs> uh Hey, I'm looking for, uh, you know, are you Sarah Connor? Uh, just to be so jovial and friendly. Uh, Jason Fetters, Hugo Sticklitz in The Purge. That's all you need in The Purge. You've seen how he handled himself in Nightmare City. Uh, David Gibson, Half-Baked with the Three Stooges. That could actually be hilarious to see the Three Stooges high as a kite. And then we can have uh, Brian, who goes to prison. Um, oh, not Brian. Who's the one who goes to prison? Uh, I can't think of the comedian's name. He's in it. Well, there you got a fourth guy. He can be Shemp. So, and then we got uh, Christopher Bickle, Evil Dead, starring Eddie Deason. Okay. Corey Walter, Friday, but instead of Ice Cube and Chris Tucker, it's John Lithgow and James Woods, and Chris O'Donnell will play Debo. That's so ridiculous, I don't even think it's funny. Uh, uh, Cody Rapp, I would love to see Bloodsucking blood Freaks recast with an all-star cast, but specifically Vincent Price's Sardou. Oh, that would be pretty, pretty cool. John Soloway, every Rob Zombie movie, anybody but Sherry Moon. You know what's funny about that? I feel like the people that hate Rob Zombie talk more about Rob Zombie than the people that like Rob Zombie. Talk about Rob Zombie. Uh, Ashley Marie Short, The 39 Steps, starring Ryan Reynolds and Olivia Wilde, featuring Tom Hardy as the man missing a finger and Gal Gadet as the agent woman in the beginning. Also, Elijah Wood as Mr. Memory or whatever. Obviously a comedic twist, but I already laugh at it like it's a comedy anyways. Okay. Bad Masters, great and informative reviews as always. That Polizia Tetsi box set is very enticing. Have you seen a Mustachioed uh, Muretio Murley? Merley's Commissioner Bette Trilogy, Roma Volante, uh, Napoleon Volante, and Etilia Amano Armana. They kick so much ass. I Man, the one I remember him in is Rome Armed to the Teeth. I don't know if that's a translation, if that's one of them. Is he in the Tough Ones too? I, I are Those, like, I, I would only know the American titles, the Americanized titles of them. But I've seen him in a couple movies. Um, and, like... I don't know how I feel about him yet. In Highway Racer, he was very good, very different, but like I, I I know he's not like supposed to be Franco Nero, but he feels like Franco Nero from High what was the one, High Crime and uh, fucking what was the other one? Um, street Law. So like I, I need to watch more of his films and give him a better shot because I know he's in a bunch of them. And then I guess the question of the week, which Hopefully, some people answer this time, or I'll have to switch it up and start doing something a little different. Is what genre of film is the most thought provoking? And I know most people would say horror, and I would agree to a certain extent. But honestly, sci-fi to me is always thought provoking. Especially we talk—we're talking about uh, *Escape from Planet of the Apes*, and like we talk about *Day the Earth Stood Still*. They always bring up these concepts and ideas, and I feel like science fiction might be the most thought-provoking so, genre of all films. So let me know what you guys think the most thought-provoking genre of film is. Uh, Yeah. And if it is horror or or whatever, just give me a reason, a little reason, or an example, a film example of what one of the most thought-provoking films is from that genre. So there we go. Give me a subgenre or a genre of film that you think is most thought-provoking and give me an example. That would be great. And anyways, we're going to hop into this update. All right, let's hop into this update. First up, some 4Ks. Amazon had that Prime Day or something, so they had some cheap 4Ks. Um, this is going to be embarrassing, but I've never seen Smokey and the Bandit. So I'm going to watch it in 4K eventually. I'm sure I'll love it. I mean, I love the Burt Reynolds movies I've seen, like White Lightning and Gator and Boogie Nights and pretty much everything I've seen him in, I've loved him. So yeah, can't wait to watch probably most popular movie ever made. Woo! London Bridge is falling down. Okay, so, um, of course, Deliverance as well. So we have The Big Lebowski, also a good price on this. Uh, you know, Coen Brothers movies, hilarious. The more you watch it, the funnier it gets. It's one of those ones that has, like, goofy, stupid humor, but also really clever humor. And uh, Judd Goodman <laughs> so good at this movie. I don't want to play by the on rules. I mean, like, come on. Endlessly quotable. This is what happens, Larry. Um, E.T., yeah, 4K. Not watched E.T. in years. I know... It's popular to hate, like, really really good popular movies. So, I mean, like, I've always loved E.T. It's been years since I've watched it. i will probably, like, one of these movies I haven't watched in 20 years, and I'll just start crying at the end of E.T., and I'll be embarrassed. I'm like, I'm not crying, there's something in my eye. Um, then we have Scarface, which, been a while as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I mean, I like this movie. Um, for a while, I, Like it seemed like I was annoyed with Scarface from, like, in high school, just because everybody that loved Scarface was such an annoying idiot. They're like, yeah, Scarface is the best. It's like, dude, Scarface, like, it's a great movie and a great performance, but Scarface is, like, a piece of shit. Like, he's an awful person to look up to. Um, so, yeah. And then we have uh, Spartacus, uh, the Kubrick movie. I saw this on TV when I was a kid. I have not seen it since. So I recently just bought the Blu-ray. But now this it's four four times sharper than full HD. So I can watch Kurt Douglas as a gladiator. And then we have some Blu-rays. Um, this Marx Brothers set was on sale for like twelve bucks. It was so cheap. It's like fifteen dollars. Never seen any of the Marx, uh, Marx Brothers movies. We have the uh, coconuts, animal animal crackers, monkey business, horse feathers, and duck soup. Um, good set, five movies. Gotta gotta be smarter. Gotta get better. And I, I like cult and all kinds of cinema, but like something like that is something I'm not familiar with, which I should be. And watching all different types of film is the best way to get familiar with all types of film. Um, I, if that makes any sense, like the more different stuff you watch, I think you can understand what you appreciate about certain movies too. So then we have the Criterion of Sallow, um, Blu-ray. I had the BFI or whatever it was, Blu-ray from the from Britain. And I had this on DVD, but I, I bought this during the Target buy to get one. And yeah, it's Sallow on uh, Blu-ray. Very disturbing movie, I only saw it at one time. Then we have the original um, Phantom of the Opera from Kino, st- starring Lon Chaney Sr. Yeah, the, the iconic one, right? Then we have uh, Supernatural, which is an older horror film. Randolph Scott, uh, yeah, from Kino, Picked this up. Then we have The Return of Dracula. This is an Olive Films release. Not seen this one. Then we have The Mask of the Red Death. I always say the, the masquerade. The Mask of Red, of the Red Death with uh, Vincent Price. I watched this, very entertaining movie. A Corman film, if I'm not mistaken. This is a, a longer version of it. So, yeah, I'll check that out when I can. Then we have White of the Eye, which I had the Arrow release. This is dirt cheap. David Keith movie, very strange film. Not bad at all, different. Um, I know that the director committed suicide shortly after this movie was released, or maybe even before it was released. Um, then we have The Return of the Vampire starring Bela Lugosi. This is not a Universal movie. It apparently has um, a killer meatball in it from the cover. Uh, I know. That, that's apparently a, that's not a werewolf on the back. It looks like a killer meatball. I've never seen this one. Um, yeah, it looks low budget, but hey, eh, why not? Then we have We Dare You to Look Into Dr. Blood's golfing Yeah. Dr. Blood looks really stiff. That, somebody needs to give Dr. Blood a massage. Um, yeah, <laughs> What is this thing monster created from the depths so like a frankenstein ripoff type deal i'm not sure maybe he's a ghoul i don't know never seen this one then we have the daughters of satan another uh, screen factory here tom selleck stars in bewitching a cult thriller cool um then we have the Evil of Frankenstein, which is my second least favorite of the Hammer Frankensteins. That's why it took me so long to pick up the new Blu-ray. I don't I don't I don't like it that much because it confuses me because the first two have continuity and then this one comes in and it's like, "Hey, we got the rights to Universal." It's like, "Oh, we're we making a sequel to the Universal ones, which one? I don't know. Or we make making a sequel to the Hammer ones. I don't know. I just start it in the middle. And there's already one that ha- I don't fucking know what they're doing. It just confused the hell out of me. And I don't, I maybe that give another chance will change my mind, but. Then we have Silent Night, Deadly Night, part two. It was on sale, I was not gonna buy this full price. I've actually never watched part two. Of course, I've obviously seen the original and I've obviously seen Garbage Day a million times. I don't know. Like I said, man, movies that have been told, like I have been told, are horrible for years and years and years. Like I just didn't watch. Like hearing about this one, it's like, oh, it's terrible. At age ten, you just don't rush out to watch it usually. Even though I do end up liking some movies that a lot of people consider terrible. But finally, now I have it in Blu Ray and watch it in style. So, anyways, back to the video. Okay, guys, thank you very much for watching. And as always, have a good one.